I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 3. We had a break last week with our our conference, and the week before we looked at Taming the Tongue part 1. This is Taming the Tongue part 2, and we look at verses 7 to 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pine yield fresh water. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear as you talk to us about the words that we use with our tongues. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it was a couple weeks ago, we began looking at this topic of taming the tongue. And Paul, excuse me, James has been using very strong language, making very strong statements and describing the tongue. He did begin by saying that the tongue has a lot of potential for good. It could help us grow spiritually. Um, The tongue is not just an indicator of where you stand spiritually, but actually is a means to help us in growing. But then he contrasted that, and he mentioned that the tongue has potential also for evil. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles the entire body, he says. It sets on fire the course of your life. And in his verse 6 says, it sets on, it's set on fire from hell. It's the tool of Satan. And so the tongue has the potential to build others up or tear them down, build up the church or tear them down, build up families, build up marriages, build up personal relationships, or it has the potential to destroy them. It can promote spiritual growth and maturity, or it can ruin everything in its verbal path. And so according to James, we must control our tongue. Well, this week, James continues this discussion. As I said, this is part two on the nature of the tongue. And he began with its power, as we just looked at, and now he will give us three more attributes of the tongue. He'll do that in verses 7 to 12. He'll teach us that it's untamable. That's the first point. That it's inconsistent, the second point. And it's the index of the heart. And so the tongue is untamable, inconsistent in the index of the heart. We're going to look at those three. First, the tongue is untamable. As I just said, as we learned in the first sermon on taming the tongue, that James is saying to us, look, tongue control is key. It's It's important. Uh, but now he sets up this weird dilemma, this strange dilemma. Uh, uh, he says the key is tongue control. And then he'll tell us, but you can't do it. I'm going to tell you what you need, and then I'm going to tell you you're not able to do it. Look at verse 7 8. He illustrates it. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. 
but no human man, being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He uses that word for in verse 7. He's connecting what he said earlier to what he's saying now. Remember verse 6 said, our tongues are set on fire by hell. And how do we know that they are set on fire by hell? And the answer he gives is here, because no human being can tame the tongue. As it is with the fires of hell, nobody can quench them. Um, And so there lies the dilemma. If we want to grow spiritually, if you want to draw closer to Christ, you must control your tongue, but you're not able to do it. And James makes the point by way of contrast. He says, every kind of beast and bird of reptile, sea creature can be tamed. He's referring to Genesis chapter 1 here, all the classes of the animals. And so the idea is that humans can tame the whole range of the animal kingdom, but can't tame the tongue. It's actually uh, written poetically. Every kind of beast has been tamed by humankind, but no one among humankind can tame the tongue. You know this to be true. You can go to any circus. You see this in action. You have this very small man standing next to this very large elephant, and he can make the elephant move and stop with just a motion. Uh, He could do the same with a tiger. Sometimes there have been mistakes, but you get the point. You can go to SeaWorld, and you see a whale and a dolphin, and they're literally tamed by man. If they get out of line, the trainer snaps some commands, and back in line they go. But there's no way for me as a pastor or for you as a Christian to snap your hand when you hear gossip to tame your tongue. I wish I could just snap my finger, and it would just go away. It doesn't work that way. We cannot snap our fingers to put the tongue back in line. We can subdue the animals, but we cannot subdue the tongue. And James goes on to explain why. He says the tongue is a restless evil. It's always liable to break out is the idea. That just all of a sudden it just comes out. And and so that's part of the meaning of restless evil. But they also have another idea. Uh, always liable to break out fits well with verses 7 to 8, but the tongue is untamable fits well with verse, anticipating verses 9 to 12. Uh, the word for restless is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used here in James. And in chapter 1, verse 8, where he said that the one who doubts is unstable in all his ways. Remember, the idea is that single-mindedness, they're, they're facing both ways. And so our tongue is unstable, and it's going in both directions. It's facing both ways, toward good at times and toward bad at times, and often toward evil. And that's why we can't control it. We can't stop it from its unquenchable desire to do evil. Our tongues want to move in evil's direction. And so the tongue is a restless evil. And James doesn't stop there, though. He goes on to say in verse 8, it's a deadly poison, a restless evil and a deadly poison. Now, that's a a quote from the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 140 says, they make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And you may know that Paul quotes that um, in Romans chapter 3 when he's trying to describe how sinful mankind is. He says, the venom of Asps is under their lips. 
You can no more control the tongue is the point than you can stop the poison of sin infiltrating your life and doing its deadly work. And so do you see the paradox? James is telling you to do something you are incapable of doing. Tame the untamable tongue. And so that's the first point. And the tongue is untamable. Second, it's inconsistent. Look at verses 9 to 12. This is where it ties in with that word, meaning both looking both ways. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, what is that deadly poison? Our tongue is a deadly poison. What is it? Well, that's what it is. The deadly poison of the tongue is its inconsistency. It's, it's facing both ways. It's the lack of single-mindedness when it comes to the tongue. That's the poison. What does that mean? Well, we bless God with it, and we curse people who are made in the image of God. And so do you see what's happening here? We, we really bless and curse the same thing. We bless and curse the image of God. We look upward to heaven, and we start our worship service. We praise God. We sing praise to God, our Father, for his greatness. We sing for his glory. We sing and say how his splendor, how majestic he is. We praise him for his mercy and love. And then with hardly a thought, We look outward to those around us, and with the same tongue that's just praise the Lord, we think nothing of slandering, criticizing, mocking, and defaming them. The people around us who bear the image of God. And so do you see what he's saying? You bless God's image with your tongue, and you curse God's image in others with your tongue. We come to church praising God and then leave saying, did you see that person? Did you see what they were wearing? Can you believe it? Pastor has a tie on today, so you can't say anything. That's why he put it on. Because I, <laughs> I was going to make that point. No, it, it, you get my point. We, we, we find things that, that pick at others. Maybe, maybe they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, but we, we find things to pick at others. Um, and, and James says in verse 10, my brothers, he, he's saying this, my brothers, don't you get it? These things ought not to be so. The, the word James uses here is found nowhere else. It, it really means this in no way is right. It is inherently, it is fundamentally not right. That's what he's getting at. James is saying, look, the human tongue is an anomaly according to him. It's, it's abnormal according to James. Good and evil coming out of the same mouth. You don't find that in nature. That's the point he's making. It runs contrary to God's pattern of creation. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. We know the answer. You mix the two and taste of the salt will always prevail. And so it is with the tongue. You mix good and evil, and the taste of evil will always prevail on your lips. It will always end up proving to be the stronger element. And so when you speak both good and evil, you're you're leaving a bitter taste behind, as it were. 
And then James continues to show how much of an anomaly it is. He says, a fig tree and a grapevine. Fig trees produce figs, right? Not olives, we know that. Grapevines produce grapes, not figs. You don't plant an orange tree and expect apples to grow on it. Um, And that's how much of an anomaly the Christian tongue is. To hear good and evil from the same tongue of a Christian is like seeing apples and oranges growing on the same tree. It's strange. Let me go back to an illustration that I used, the the circus. This I got from a commentary on this passage. It was interesting. Remember how in the olden days in circus in the mid-1800s, maybe up to about 1970, I'm told, we used to have at circuses on the side what were called freak shows. Well, we recognize now that they're dehumanizing and cruel, but then they were seen as entertainment. You'd pay extra money, and you'd see somebody in a cage that had some deformity, and they were considered, or an animal with the same type of deform, some weird deformity, maybe two heads, whatever it is, and somebody was really, really tall, somebody was really, really short, whatever it was, you'd pay money, and they were put on display for you, and, 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 and they were in a box for all of you to see. And, and, and the idea was you'd be entertained by their abnormal nature. Or, or as the saying goes, we'd be freaked out over how strange they were. That's what James is saying about the behavior of the tongue. It's a freak of nature. Nothing, nothing, he says, is more abnormal according uh, to the word than the Christian who praises God out of one side of their mouth and degrades man on the other side of their mouth. He's saying, look, you should be disgusted by this freak show. You should be freaked out over this abnormal behavior. The person who wrote this illustration said, a two-headed cow is nothing compared to the freakish behavior of the Christian tongue. And so the tongue is untamable. The tongue is inconsistent. Third, the tongue is the index of the heart. Look at verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, the commentators explain this illustration is different than the first one. You know, in verse 11, we were asked to stand beside the tap, right? You go up to the tap water, and, and you know that, the, that there's this water coming out, and it's salt and fresh water, and you know that it's mixed together. You're looking at the tap, as it were. But now we're invited to actually go behind the scenes and look at the spring itself. A salt pond, a salt spring, cannot yield fresh water. It can't happen. What comes from the source is what will be produced. If you want figs, you need a fig tree as the source. If you want grapes, you need a grapevine as the source. If you want fresh water, you need fresh water, a freshwater pond as your source. And this is in line with creation, right? We, we know in Genesis, we read that like produces like. They produce after their own kind. And so if evil is flowing from your tongue and you were to go back to the source, which is the heart, you would realize then your heart is evil. You got to go to the source. As Jesus said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? 
For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Matthew 12, 34 to 35. Or Luke says this, or in Luke, Jesus says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. These parables are very simple. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man, where does that good come from? He brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, here it is, your mouth speaks. See, pardon the pun, but we're getting to the heart of the matter. What a person says or does is what a person is. What what you say reveals who you are. It reveals your heart. And and so the the tongue is a triple threat. It's humanly untamable. It's frequently inconsistent. And its words spring from the evil of your hearts. That's how James lays it out. And remember, he wants us to control it. So how do we control it? If if that's the key to spiritual maturity, and it is, then what are we to do in light of what James tells us? Well, he gives us a hint. It's found in verses 7 and 8. James does say, he says, "The uh, the tongue isn't controllable. You can't control the tongue, but then he qualifies it if you were to look at it literally in the little translation. Verse 7, it isn't controllable by a nature that is merely human. Or verse 8, he writes, no one is able to tame the tongue. Literally, it says no one is able to tame the tongue, no man. James doesn't say that the tongue is utterly untamable. He says that it cannot be subdued by a mere man. And so only if we had access to a supernatural power, we would be able to tame the tongue. That's what James is getting at. That's the conclusion he's bringing us to. What do we need if we're going to tame the tongue is God. God can tame the tongue. Nothing is impossible for God. Only God can tame this restless evil. And so one writer points out there's here a reversal, as it were. Think about this. Earlier, or two weeks ago, we said that the flames of hell, right, they reach up and ignite the tongue on fire. That's kind of the image that James has given us. Well, where do we see a reversal of that? We see that in the book of Acts. We see the fire from heaven reaching down to kindle new powers and give new speech to the human tongue. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, we're told in Acts 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The untamable tongue, the tongue that Peter used to deny his Lord, that, that tongue where Peter, uh, you could probably use Peter a lot because he spoke out. 
Uh, you know, that tongue that you've used that, 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 that uh, speaks verses of praise to God and at the same time curses, we're told here that the apostles who have tongues like us, their tongues were tamed when the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they saw, what did they do, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Do you see how they used their tongues then? The, the fires of hell, they ascend upon us to control the tongue for evil. But the greater fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, descends upon us from heaven to control our tongue for good. And so that same Peter who cursed his Lord, now that the Holy Spirit fire fell upon him, praised his God and was willing to die for his God and spoke of the things of God. We cannot control the tongue, but the Heavenly Father can. We cannot control the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. We cannot control the tongue, but our Savior, Jesus, can. It is he who changes our tongue. Why? Because it is he who can change the source. He can change our hearts. If we're going to control the tongue, the tongue tongue that reveals our hearts, then our hearts must be changed. And see, we cannot change ourselves from the inside out. Only God can change you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit must reside in your heart. Now, when we talk about the heart, I shared this in the first service. I had, I had a student in my youth group years ago when we were talking about accepting Jesus in your heart, the language that a lot of people use. They raised their hand and wanted to know what happens if you have a heart transplant. <laughs> you know, they, they took it literally. And, um, it, you know, I had to explain to them, well, the heart is that inner inclinations it has to do with your will. It also has to do with your mind. It's, it's, it's that thing inside of you that drives you. Um, and that's what it speaks of. And we can't change that. We're controlled by it, as it were. And, and so before we're saved, our hearts are inclined to only evil. Even the good things we think we're doing fall way short of the glory of God. And we're inclined to evil. And we, we don't want what is good ultimately unless it serves us, which is then selfishness and pride. And, and so what we need is to be changed from the inside out. And so when you, when you want to start with how do we control our tongues, you have to begin with the gospel. It's, it's the word, the spoken word of the gospel believed and trusted that makes all the difference in the world. It, it, it would not be a marvelous display of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives if our tongues were like his. If he changed us with to- a tongue like his. Scripture says of Jesus, not, no man ever spoke like this man. Literally, it reads like verse 8, never did one speak thus, no man. And so this leaves no doubt in my mind. James, think about this, James, the half-brother of our Lord, is talking about the tongue, and and, and then his half-brother, who is his, his Lord, he thinks of growing up with him. Imagine growing up with Jesus. His tongue was tamed. He grew up with him. He would have been able to say, you know, even Jesus blew it sometimes. He doesn't say that. He he, he says, look, it was perfect. He was perfect. It, it, It was always consistent. 
this brother of mine. He always spoke the truth. He always spoke words of life. His heart was perfect. That's why. He had no sin. And his life-giving words revealed his heart. That's the reality. And so James here is pointing us back to Jesus. He's saying, look, you want to change your life. You want to live for Christ. You have to begin with Christ. You have to look to Christ. The same Christ who justifies you. The same Christ who reconciles you. Who, who draws you to himself. Who, who makes you a friend of God rather than his enemy. is the same Christ who can tame your tongue. It's the same Holy Spirit who applied that salvation, which regenerated your heart, which enabled you to believe. It's the same person who controls your tongue. He gives you the power to tame the tongue. He gives you the power to to be consistent with your tongue. Yes, we're going to fall short, but he gives us the power to subdue the evil within us so that we're free to speak words of life like our Savior, Jesus. There was a great preacher, Joseph Parker, in the 19th century said, it is vain to attempt to tame the tongue until the heart has been subdued. And that's what Jesus does. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. He subdues your heart. And so I hope, I hope that you realize the important role the tongue plays in your spiritual life. It's, it's not something to take lightly. The problems it can cause are serious problems. And it's really, you know, maybe you've said this. I, I know I have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm perfect now, but there was a time. <laughs> no, you know, if you're just saying, I just had to get that off my chest. I had to run off at my mouth. I understand it. You understand it. We get frustrated. We have pride. We don't like when somebody disagrees with us, whatever it may be. And we have this saying, he's just running off. Just let him go. He's just running off at the mouth. And, 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 you, and Jesus says, well, that's just not acceptable for a believer who has the Holy Spirit in them. Paul says, but now you must put all of them away. Well, they were there. There was a time when running off of the mouth was part of the life. You need to put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's who we are now. We are being renewed into the image of our creator, Christ. And so we must strive, in the power of the Spirit, strive to control the tongue. And so with that in mind, I am going to share three principles for tongue control. How do I control my tongue? I, I literally just took these right from James Boyce's commentary, and I'm glad I, I don't mind saying it. Three principles that have helped me are based on the fact that the tongue speaks what the mind thinks. And we've got to remember that. And so if you're going to control the tongue, you must first control your mind. Or often, when we read the word heart in Scripture, the mind. First thing James Boyce says, you need to present your mind to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, therefore, it says more than that, but I'll get to it. 
What does it therefore mean? Everything he has just said about the gospel, everything he's just said about Jesus dying for our sins, everything about justifying us, declaring us righteous, forgiving us, being united to Christ, all these truths, these beautiful truths. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, when we think of our bodies, we don't, we don't think of the mind, but that's what the first thing Paul thought of. He knew that if anything good is to develop in our lives, our minds had to be transformed. It would have to happen. Why? Because how we think controls what we say or do. You see it in our society today. I'm not going to go into detail with that. People that just believe the bizarrest things, but it's just been said over and over again. It controls the mind. You know, we, 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 we think we, what we think controls what we say. It controls what we do. And so we need to surrender our minds to God. We, the words of our closing hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord, consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my intellect, my mind, and use every power as thou shalt choose. See, your life your, your voice, your lips, your intellect, your mind are no longer yours. If you've come to Christ, they're no longer yours. They belong to Christ. And so turn them over to him. That's the first thing. That's a lifelong process, by the way. We don't just knock that one out, but it, it, we need to do it. Second, boy says, look, just begin to obey Christ's teachings, The Apostle Paul says we have an obligation to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. He said it this way, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We don't just sit back and let go and let God. You've heard that saying. And for some, I understand the sentiment behind it. God must do the work. We don't just surrender our lives, though, and just wait and say, all right, God, take care of my tongue, and now I'm going to go out. Oh, I guess God's not working because I, got, I was on 76 again, and it, I, let it, I let it go. You know, now I have to work at it. We must strive. We need to take every thought captive. We need to search the Scriptures diligently and seek out what Christ requires of us and obey it. Everyone who loves Christ will keep his commands. And as we do, through, through the power of the Spirit, by the way, not in your own strength, by the power of the Spirit, God will begin to change the way you think and the way you speak. I, I've mentioned to you that when I got saved, immediately I just realized, oh my gosh, that's how I used my tongue. I, you know, I'd, I'd go back, I got saved, and, you know, maybe a week, two weeks, kind of getting this understanding what happened to me, and I went back out with friends, and I don't think you could say a full sentence without at least six curse words. That's all they did. And I'm like, why are you talking like that? 
I mean, jokingly, I'd say that because I knew that's exactly how I talked. But I had to renew my mind in different ways as well. The things I focused on. That's why after getting saved, yeah, my tongue changed a little, but what was I seeing? What was I watching? My mentor, uh, the person who discipled me, my mother-in-law, who was, you know, I was dating Christy at the time, would talk to us about the things we watch and the things we listen to. They shape us. And so when our minds are changed by Christ, we begin to speak differently. It's not a matter of just stopping cursing. That's good. You probably should start there. And I, I guarantee you at times they probably slip out at least up here. Um, if no one's listening, I don't know. But, 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 but it's not just that. It's a whole change of life. It's a metamorphosis, a, a completely new way of talking. And that leads to the third principle. We need, Boyce says, to practice speaking helpfully. It's not only that you control what you want to say, you know, but but you, you start saying positive things. This isn't positive thinking stuff. This is just saying you control your tongue positively and start saying the things we ought to be saying as believers. And this takes practice. You know, for... For someone like myself, I, I mentioned earlier that now I'm perfect, but I used to be sarcastic. <laughs> you get the irony there? I just, yeah. um, I, I'd make a cutting remark. Even, you know, I meant it as a joke. It was only meant to be funny. And then I realized as a Christian, that can only go so far. There's a place and proper place for jokes and being funny. But you, you have to guard your sarcastic tongue. But I needed to do more than that. It isn't that I know now. Just, I could just put tape over my mouth, and I'd never say anything bad, but I had to do something positive. I, I needed to start learning to say positive things, complimenting someone, saying something that will encourage them, even in the midst of their struggle. And Boyce says, look, make this a personal goal. It's not a bad idea, he writes. You might determine to say one good thing to pray in the praise of God to someone every single day. Find someone and just share it. You might decide to confess Jesus Christ as Lord in your life in some practical area. Lord, take this over, and I'm going to move forward with that, right? Lord, take this thought process, take my speaking, whatever it is. Maybe you'll memorize a Bible verse so you can recite it to others. Use your tongue for that. There's any number of ways you can do it. They were the three boys shared. Let me share one more. You might use your tongue to share the gospel with a lost friend, a lost coworker. It's a lot easier when you go to work as I'm not in that context as I'm working in the church. But if you go to work or you're around people all the time that are unbelievers and to see how rude they are and how they use their tongue. By the way, I don't know why any of us are surprised. In light of what James is saying is going on with the Christian, are you surprised that the world uses their tongue the way they do? We shouldn't be surprised at that. But, but, but instead of getting angry with this individual, being disgusted with their, their, their language and how foul they're being, how about tell them about the love of Jesus? It'll probably get them to stop talking to you so you don't have to hear their foul language. But in either case, you could tell them about the love of Jesus. Tell them how, you know, I, I used to talk just like you. And that, that'll get their attention. What do you mean you talk like me? Well, you should tape it. 
Um, you know, it, 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 but, but now I have Jesus. It's changed my life. Tell them about the salvation he offers uh, and, and, and all who receive him, how he can change you from the inside out. Ephesians says it this way. This is a paraphrased version of Paul's words. Do not let any, un, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help whenever it is needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. It'll benefit those who listen, Ephesians 4.29 in the paraphrased version. And so all these things, if we do them, if we're willing to do that, if we start with Christ, recognizing that I can't do any of this. If you're an unbeliever here, don't go home and try to train your tongue. It's not going to work. You need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to believe that he died for your sins, the sins of your tongue, among all the other sins. You need to believe that he rose again, that you could be justified, declared righteous, and be forgiven. You need to believe those truths. You need to embrace them for yourself, and you need to trust him. But if you have done that, which I would think is most of the people here today, uh, if you have done that, understand that if you're willing to tame your tongue by the power of the Spirit and put into practice these small suggestions, your life will be transformed. It will be. In fact, you know what else will be transformed? The church will be transformed. And, and, and with God's blessing... We've been praying. You're going to pray Thursday for revival at the at, at Garden Spot. With God's blessing, our whole community would be transformed. And so, what is the call? Surrender our minds and our lives to God. Obey His teachings in the power of the Spirit, and, and, and speak helpful words. And then pray. Pray that God will enable us to control our tongue. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, take our life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Amen.